so this is the Compass Rogue podcast, yeah. R-O-G-U-E. Um, and I'm Alexandra Fox, LPC. Uh, my business partner and friend, Christian Tomasco, is here as well, LICSW in the District of Columbia. Um, we, uh, we have a private practice for mental health, uh, for counseling, and uh, started this podcast to be informative and um to be entertaining i guess and um and i i've thought a lot about what the value of this could be um christian and i collectively have what like 20 years experience in the mental health field is that correct that's about between the two of us between the two of us about 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 20 years of, of, of experience um and with that experience, uh, I, I think that we can uh, we can take those experiences that we've had and we can disseminate information. Uh, I want to make a couple of points. Number one, uh, as I said on the last uh, podcast, is that if you're in a crisis, please uh, reach out and get help. Do not rely on uh, this podcast as a form of therapy. It is informative. It is um filled with, uh, with things that you, with interventions that you might want to employ in your life, but it should not be used as therapy. And, uh, so reach out for help. And, uh, the other thing is that we're open to feedback. I'm open to feedback. I I love hearing, uh, feedback from people about things that I say. Um, and so you can email us at compassroguedc at gmail.com. And, um, and if you have any comments or questions or you have some information that uh, disputes some information that we've given you, I'm happy to hear it. I know Christian would be open to that as well. Um, I would love to have a dialogue with people uh, about things. I don't purport to know everything. Christian and I are authorities, but not the authority. We have a, a lot of experience, but we don't have experience in everything. So when we talk about mental health, we, we have a broad scope um, and we specialize in, in a few areas, uh, but there's always also new research coming out, right? So uh, the things that we talk about are evidence-based and what evidence-based means is that there have been research studies conducted um, about the topics that we talk about, and we get our information from those research studies. Not all research studies are created the same. Some are uh, have a little reliability and validity, but but a lot of them are very good. And if so many research studies are done about one topic, and the same results come out of each research study, that that's a pretty good indication that that those things that are said in the research study in the conclusion are actually true. Um, A lot of psychology is theoretical. Um, It's considered a soft science in some ways. Uh, But again, through the research studies and empirical data with with, uh, the evidence-based research, um, we can verify that a lot of the things that we say and, and employ with our clients are quite effective, not just because we've read the studies and we've dissected the studies and talked about them and uh, but I, I personally, and I know Christian could attest to this too, I see uh, the difference in, in my clients after having been in therapy for um, a, a while. I, I, I mean, it, it varies. Um, healing time, um, epiphanies come at, at different times in people's journeys through therapy. Um, but, you know, anecdotally, I can say um, that it's very effective. Uh, the things that we do are very effective for people. And it's extremely satisfying to see someone come into therapy um, that, um, you know, in, to, in the beginning is suffering symptoms um, of mental illness, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, um, panic, and, and to have them then go through the process of therapy and take the things that we talk about in our sessions and employ them in their daily lives or think about them or read further in their private time um, and, and, and to see them learn and grow and blossom and to see their symptoms reduce is extremely satisfying. Um, I, and I, I come into the mental health or I came into the mental health field as someone 
that had uh, their own issues. I would, I had gone to therapy. I've, I've had my own struggles. I greatly empathize with, uh, with what people are experiencing when they come down, when they come and sit down in front of me uh, on zoom or in person, it's on zoom now. Um, and I can greatly empathize with their struggles. I have a lot to uh, draw from in my own life. I'm happy to self-disclose when it's appropriate. Um, anyway, I can't say enough about the, the efficacy of therapy, the, um, the value in therapy. And uh, so today we're going to try to focus a little bit on the idea of healing um, because I was telling Christian, um, you know, why, why do people seek out therapy? Why do people seek out uh, mental health topics on podcasts or why do they Google things? Well, primarily to feel better, to get hope. Um, you, you Google symptoms to see what's wrong. You Google symptoms to see, you know, what can I do about this? What, what are the things, what are the interventions that I can use in my life to help me feel better? So let's start talking uh, about how to feel better. Uh, what, what do you think, Christian? Uh, well, I think when we, when we talk about healing, I think it's important to first kind of start with, um, uh, the mind body connection. Um, I, I often t- uh, talk with my clients uh, uh, about the importance of the mind-body connection, right, uh, within the context of, of mental health, right? Uh, what impacts the body also can carry over to the mind uh, and vice versa, right? So, um, uh, you know, physical illnesses and ailments, uh, 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 if they go untreated or unmanaged uh, can eventually have an adverse impact on one's mental health. Um, And conversely, um, uh, you know, one's mental health struggles, if not treated or managed uh, appropriately over time um, can manifest in physical symptoms. Panic disorder um, is a good example of that. Um, Probably the most well-known example of um, uh, a mental illness manifesting in physical symptoms, right? So when we talk about healing, I, I think um, it's important to, um, um, you know, make sure that we are um, taking a kind of a comprehensive approach to the idea of healing uh, in mental health. It, 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 it is a, a holistic kind of comprehensive process that includes both the body and the mind. Both have to yeah. be, both have to be um, uh, healing. Healing really ideally should be a, a occurring um, um, in both facets. I completely so, agree. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say enough. Um, I, I say to all my clients yeah. um, that if they don't have a, a meditation practice or a yoga practice or a breathing practice, um, I always recommend um, that they start to develop some sort of body work yeah. in their lives. Um, and it can be something as simple as taking five minutes out of their day, going on YouTube and finding some sort of like stretching, stretching, yeah. ex- some exercise, you know, of course, checking with their physicians. I don't want to overstep. Yeah. Um, but the mind body connection is strong. And um, and, a, and some people are resistant to that. Some people are resistant to that idea. Um, but I know uh, personally, like with uh, with trauma. Mm-hmm. Personally and professionally, clinically, um, that uh, the mind-body connection is unbelievably strong, and you cannot heal um, trauma without taking into consideration um, the effects that it has on one's body. Um, and the same can be said for all the disorders under the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one is very near and dear to, to me because of the trauma that I've experienced, um, and, and taking the time to, to, uh, pay attention to my body and, uh, and, and learn how to manage my physical symptoms, um, has helped me to manage my thought, my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So sh- should I go on? Because, uh, so this is what I say about anxiety. No, you should not go on. Yes, I will go on. So, so like, this is what I say about anxiety. Okay, mm-hmm. so anxiety or panic or, or trauma, um, if you're triggered in some way. Um, 
Yeah, I was just going to say it might might be helpful to our listeners if we give them kind of examples. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so right. so here's here's a, a little bit of a. I mentioned anxiety and panic disorders. Maybe we can start. Let's talk there. about that. Yeah. Okay. So so the initial response that we have uh, to a stimuli, um, uh, first of all, our bodies are fantastically equipped to deal with whatever it is that comes our way. Um, I mean, we really need to trust ourselves. Our, mm-hmm. We need to trust our physical experience mm-hmm. um, and and know that we will be okay. A lot of people do not trust that they will be okay if they yield to some of the emotional experiences that they have. Yeah. Okay. Um, does that mean that we just completely yield to them and are consumed by them? No. Um, so let, let, let me see if I can create a scenario for you in which anxiety uh, develops. Um, okay. Uh, again, the gift of fear, we have a gift of fear. We need to utilize it for ourselves as much as we can, but also we need to recognize that we have a little bit of a lizard brain. Uh, we are while we're evolved beings, while we're very intelligent, uh, we are not actually, um, as evolved as we could be. Um, and, and here's why I say that because we are not as, uh, threatened on a daily basis as we once were um, as human beings, right? As, as animals, as creatures, as the, the human species. Um, but we still have all the mechanisms there that help to protect us um, from, you know, being out in the wild, um, from, from being, a, you know, a tri- tribes people out in the woods. We still have all of those mechanisms. We are the uber survivors after I don't even know how many years, we are the survivors. And so we're highly attuned to threats. And therefore, our bodies um, have evolved to the point where uh, we're magnificent at surviving. The problem with being magnificent at surviving is that we, uh, our systems are reacting to a primitive level of fear that we don't necessarily have to have all the time. Okay, so... I'll use the example of I'm sitting in my living room and I hear a, a big crash outside my window. Right. So that was probably me drunk falling over. <laughs> no, it's a guy that stole a van oh. and crashed it into a car that was out in front of my house. Oh, this actually occurred. It actually occurred. When did this happen? Um, I would say three or three or four years ago. Okay. Yeah. Is so okay. No, he was fine. Uh, he ran down the street. Uh, um, so he took off. Yeah, he yeah. took off. So, so uh, my street. There's a hill and there's mm. a there's a, a curve. And he came down as a young kid. Mm. Came down. And he smashed into this guy's beautiful Mustang. The guy across the street. Comes so he in. stole a car. He stole a white riding. van. Okay. He yeah. crashed into the Mustang. And then, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And I go out and I look, and he's running down the street. And I was like, when, "Ah!" When you can't when you can't find a Lamborghini to steal, ladies and gentlemen, just go with a white van. <laughs> just go steal a big white van that you know is obviously equipped tasty to help cakes somebody. Yeah. <laughs> tasty cakes. So, so, so my initial reaction to the to the loud sound is 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 what is is I have a physical reaction. Yeah, right? you're startled. I'm startled. Yeah. Uh, my body starts to produce hormones to protect myself. I don't know what's outside. So I, I go look outside and I go, oh, it's some kid who crashed a van into the neighbor's car. And while that's not the greatest thing on earth, I'm fine. I'm in my house. I'm protected. Um, I don't see any guns blazing. You know, the kid runs away. I, I'm okay. Yeah. So I can then... Um, you know, bring my, my bodily, um, reaction, my body's reaction, uh, it, it down, you know, I, it, it starts to calm down. Um, or, or I can start reacting to the physical reaction that I had in the first place. Yeah. And I can, uh, start freaking out about the fact that my heart is racing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, my heart's racing. That yeah. means I'm going to have a heart attack. And then you start thinking about dying and then it, and then it starts to sort of domino. Right. And then you start to develop anxiety in general, not just specific to that event. Right. So recognizing and, and really um, praising your body for the the facilities that it has um, to deal with, with the danger rather than getting afraid of the reaction that it has is really important. 
Um, so, so, so the fight or flight response, the fight or flight response is healthy. It's extremely it's, it's, healthy. It's instinctual, right? It's instinctual. It's, it's, it's built into our DNA, right? It is what has allowed human beings to exist and thrive for thousands of years. Yeah, we are so amazing. Yeah. If you think about us walking around, yeah. the people that are living now, we have survived so much. Yeah. Uh, look at what we've survived in the last year and a half. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're the survivors. Um, so yeah. So trust. You know. Praise your body. Like, oh, my God, thank you for having these mechanisms in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, is we don't need to we don't they don't need to run rampant and take us over. Right. So recognizing when we need to uh, uh, calm down. <laughs> Does the can the fight or flight response work against us? Yes. As human beings. Right. Uh, particularly um, when um, one is has experienced a trauma. Uh, how, how does a trauma impact one's fight or flight response? Well, we start generalizing our experience to everything, yeah. right? So uh, so I have a history of trauma um, from early childhood up until like last year. Yeah. A long history of trauma, various yeah. events, but I grew up in a domestic violence situation. Yeah. My body uh, became hypervigilant um, and so, uh, I mean, I don't want to self-disclose too much, but I, but I, I can speak to this really clearly. Um, when you grow up in an environment where there's a possibility of violence yeah. um, at, at every turn, and there you're kind of always walking on eggshells, if you perceive a threat that's similar to the one that you grew up with, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have a physical reaction to it because you've yeah. developed a defense system. Uh, defense mechanisms to deal with the situation that you were in, right? Yeah. So if something were to remind me of a, a, of a situation that I had as a younger person, then it could flare up and I would generalize it to every person in every situation that I had and yeah. start getting into fights and start punching people at the hardware store. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. Well, for you, it would be Walmart. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, fuck you. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little triggered right now. Yes. No. Uh, so, so That was experimental. See, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happens. She's had bad experiences in Walmart in the past. I mentioned Walmart. Trigger. There I'm you triggered go. and I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> there you go. There no. Um, so, so generalizing your traumatic experience yeah. to every facet of your life. Not everybody's going to hurt you. Not every situation where there is a raised voice ends up being a, a threatening situation. Yeah. Um, and yet uh, your body's reaction to it um, yeah. can be very intense because uh, it, it's it, it's generalized that experience. And, and quite astutely, by the way, right? So humans and their brains. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. So... We start developing our belief systems from a very young age. From the minute we're born, we start to develop our realities, right? We develop our realities based on the experiences that we have. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, having a, a calm childhood mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least having uh, good attachments yeah. and, and people there to nurture you is really important. Um, so if we... So development of belief systems. So if every time we walked out the front door, everything was brand new, yeah. how fucking inconvenient would that be? Right. Yeah. So our brains quite astutely uh, build upon the experiences that we have. So we don't walk out the front door and go, oh, this is absolutely brand new. How am I going to walk down the stairs? Yeah. I've got it. I figured it out. My brain has the ability to learn from prior experiences. Yeah. So, unfortunately, again, it will develop some false beliefs uh, based on experiences that we have. Yeah. Um, it, because around every experience that we have, we, we do develop a, what's going on. We develop, no, <laughs> we develop a, a, a belief system. 107 degrees in this room, ladies and it's gentlemen. It's not that one, is yeah. it? It's not, it's not as comfortable as it could be. Let's just say that. The, the AC is on. It's barely blowing. I'd say it's probably somewhere north of room temperature, but it's okay. We're fine. I'm sweating profusely, so as you can see from my shirt. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so The things we go through to bring this podcast to you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we suffer a lot, yeah, oh yeah. you know, with oh like yeah. wine and shrimp scampi. Yeah, and, no know, AC like in here, no liquor cabinet. It's, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Just a painting of a fish. 
no, school of fish. That's horrible. Yeah, looks like a Van Gogh. Plural fish. <laughs> yes. Fish. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm horrible. sorry, as you were saying. Um. Okay. So so our brains are quite adept at developing belief systems. Yes. Um. To help us maneuver our way through the world, mm-hmm. our ways through the world. Uh, the problem with developing these belief systems is that sometimes our experiences are developed um, in situations that uh, they're just false beliefs developed. Yeah. Right. So um, I don't know. I can't come up with an example right now. Um, Okay. Well, here's one. Okay. So let's pretend uh, you you're walking down the street one day, you get hit by a car. Um, and then all of a sudden you start generalizing that experience, um, to all of the outside, right? Um, it, again, your brain is astutely developing a belief system to protect you. However, you're more than likely not going to get hit by a car every time you go outside. You got hit by a car one time walking on the shoulder of a road um, maybe you don't walk on the shoulder of the road anymore. Maybe you walk on the sidewalk, but you start thinking, well, what if the car comes over onto the sidewalk? Yeah. What if the car, you know, it, it that's a false belief. Mm-hmm. Statistically, it's pretty, pretty fair to say you're not going to get hit by a car that yeah. often, yeah. but somehow, somehow, somewhere in your brain, you've developed a belief that all of the outside is harmful. Yeah. Right. So what do you do about that? So it's a sort of hypervigilance. So hypervigilance, yeah. yeah, with regard to trauma. Yeah. It's a hypervigilance, which is exhausting. I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting to mm-hmm. think that every... You know what? Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It isn't even that the outside world is threatening. Your body is threatening. Yeah. So you're talking about the mind-body connection. Well, it distorts one's sense of, of, of reality, right? It, it does. Yeah, right? it, it, it kind of it throws off the equilibrium between perception and reality. The lines become blurred a bit. Right. So in other words, hypervigilance is not kind of the absence of the possibility. The hypervigilant reaction that people with PTSD have or people with trauma have in response to a certain stimulus, it's not the absence of the possibility that something bad could happen or the car could hit them. Mm -hmm. But it's just an exaggerated kind of. um, um, Well, you generalize it to everything. Well, Yes, I'm just saying, but if. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the one particular trigger. Okay. So the, the hypervigilance that you, that you experience when you see a car go by because you once got hit by a car, right? Um, It's not the hype, that hypervigilance. It's not the absence of the possibility that something bad could happen, but it's kind of an exaggerated belief, right? The line between, between perception and reality becomes a little blurred, right? And you start to, you start to think that every time you, 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 a car goes by, you could potentially get hit or get hurt. Right. Well, the thing is, is yes. And, we, so, and so may you may you may avoid cars altogether in order to kind of remove that stressor entirely. Yeah. Uh, from from your environment, so you're not triggered, right? Yeah. But then that that hypervigilance, that's that 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 the trauma that started with with you know maybe getting hit by a car, getting a car accident, that then carries over to other facets of your life and your belief system, right? Yeah. You start gen- generalizing in those facets, and that's when it becomes. Uh, even more debilitating and problematic from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah. And different kinds of traumas elicit different kinds of responses. Uh, trauma over an extended period of time, um, let's say, uh, you know, psychological, emotional abuse can create complex trauma. That's not actually in the DSM yet, but um, it, it may be at some point. Yeah. Um, but what happens is our the the body our bodies become a, a really difficult place to occupy so i've seen this over and over and over again mm-hmm. uh, where people come in with anxiety mm-hmm. like such uh strong symptoms of anxiety they're so uncomfortable in their bodies and they're desperate to feel better mm-hmm. um and more often than not um my, I, I could get so detailed, but I won't. I'll just be very general. More often than not, they've experienced some sort of emotional abuse um, or um, some sort of trauma in their lives. And their bodies have quite astutely surmised that there's a yeah. threat. But the threat maybe isn't as clear as, as, as one would think, uh, especially in a situation where you're being gaslighted or, yeah. you know, um, and, and whatever. So 
So what happens is your your body becomes hypervigilant yeah. and you carry around this trauma with you throughout yeah. your life and it becomes difficult to just be in your body. Yeah. So at that point, you can't think it through. You have to feel it through. Yeah. Okay. So you develop tools to manage uh, those symptoms of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? You can... Uh, you can do so many things to to manage anxiety. Uh, the one one thing that comes to mind right away are, are grounding techniques. You know, mm-hmm. where you uh, focus on the texture uh, textures in in your immediate area. Like uh, if I look at the carpet and I look at the blue lines in the carpet in the office, and I I look at how the blue interacts with the gray on the carpet. This I like the carpeting in here. Do you like? It? I think it's kind of ugly. It's well, a little moldy or something. It's, it's not. Little, moldy, I, I think like, it's, it's more vibrant than what was here prior. Oh, is it? Was just like a plain. Like well, beige the, the, yeah. Kind of I mean, thing. at the very least, it's newer. It's cleaner. It's more right. vibrant. The old, the old carpeting was like really. It was like a, a solid gray yeah, or something. Solid, but yeah. It was old and bland. I guess this breaks up, the, you know, the space a little yeah. bit. Well, so so grounding techniques. Yeah. So you start to think about uh, where you are, what what's in your immediate environment. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've recommended uh, for clients, one guy uh, that came into this community mental health center years mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. was having a panic attack. He, it had been hot outside. Um, yeah. he, he was having a very difficult time in general. And I yeah. said, okay, just sit down, put your feet flat on the floor and feel your pant legs, you know, just feel the fabric um, and just focus on what that feels like and, and breathe. And he was able to bring himself down yeah. and, and calm down. Yeah. Um, so, so grounding techniques are helpful. Um, uh, but, you know, underlying uh, anxiety are, our belief systems. Yeah. Um, the belief systems come out in thoughts that we have. The mm. thoughts feel like they uh, are uncontrollable, but they are controllable. It's just a matter of um, recognizing that they are cognitive distortions. And cognitive distortions develop as a defense system against um, what we perceive in the world as a threat. Um, And again, those threats, uh, those perceived threats develop for various reasons, um, not the least of which uh, trauma. So so our bodies can become horrible places to occupy. And in order to uh, learn how to occupy our space in a, in a calmer way, in a, in a more enjoyable way, it, it takes work and you have to develop new neural pathways. Yeah. Um, that's what therapy is about. Therapy is, is about developing new neural pathways. Neural pathways have been developed um, mm-hmm. that, that are not serving you, yeah. right? And so you have to take the time to come in and talk about it and examine what your thoughts are and where those thoughts developed. And yeah. if those thoughts are, de- are developed around a false belief, yeah. you have to, I say to my clients, you have like a little attorney in your head yeah. and you have to dispute those thoughts. You have to say, okay, let's look at where, what's the evidence for this belief. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Any thoughts? So kind of reflecting on the evidence for belief in order to potentially correct it. Reflecting on the evidence for belief to protect it. Yeah, like literally developing, um, yeah, I... I, I, A greater self-awareness of your interpretation of a a thought or even a stimulus. In order to perhaps correct, in order to correct the, uh, what the trauma undid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not uh, trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization. I'm not trained in EFT, emotional freedom tapping. I am not a neurologist. I'm not. A, um, yeah. So I, I can speak to those things a little bit, but I can't speak with great authority on them. There a lot of evidence. Um, there's a lot of evidence to support the use of EMDR in trauma. Um, uh, but I, I don't do it and I've actually, I've never partaken in it. I've, I've never, I've never done it. Have you ever done it? No, no. Um, so there are different avenues to take, uh, but I see progress in clients, um, without the use of EMDR, just through talk yeah. therapy, yeah. uh, bringing to light things that, that people have um, been thinking for years that they've never shared with anybody else. 
That's the, the beauty of, I mean, there's so many good things about a therapeutic relationship, but one of them is being having a safe space to come and talk about things that you wouldn't otherwise talk about. Yeah. Right. So the number one indicator mm-hmm. of a positive uh, therapeutic experience, positive therapeutic outcome, good outcome in therapy um, is the relationship that one develops um, with the therapist. Mm-hmm. So uh, across the board, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the study was, but mm-hmm. there was this big study done. It didn't matter what theoretical orientation it's raining like crazy. Doesn't matter the theoretical orientation, doesn't, that didn't matter. What mattered most was the relationship between the therapist and the client. Yeah. So if you have a good therapeutic alliance, if you trust the person that you're talking to, and you can you can trust the person that you're talking to in a safe space, and it's private, um, and you're not being judged, and you're being shown an unconditional positive regard. Mm. Um, what an amazing gift that is uh, to be able to heal, right? Yeah. So that that is uh, what I have to say about it. that's how you get healed. So go heal yourself. No, there's there's a lot more to it. There's so much more to talk about. Well, maybe it would be helpful to delve into some of those um, uh, some of those processes, right? Um, for our listeners, right? Uh, what what steps can one take to heal themselves from some of the symptoms, the behavioral manifestations of trauma? Um, I mean, there there are several, as you said, trauma impacts people in different ways. But maybe we can target some of the most common symptoms, such as hypervigilance. Yeah, uh, and then talk about perhaps uh, ways in which people can uh, work to address. Uh, and, and uh, combat their, uh, their their hypervigilance. So I'm gonna. How does one heal from from that? Right. Good question. And there there are there's, <clears throat> there's not just one answer, right? I mean there there are a number of different therapeutic modalities, treatment modalities that one can access. But perhaps maybe we can talk about um, uh, the low hanging fruit, right? Things that people can do for themselves individually at home, even that are inexpensive and and, yeah. and fun. Well. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of fun things to do at home, but um, well, I'm, th- I'm thinking along the lines of like yoga or meditation. Yes. So these are not things that are fun for people that have trauma because they're afraid of their bodies. Right. What I've run across. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that people who have been traumatized don't enjoy yoga or meditation. I mean, those are kind of leisurely activities that people they can employ. Can. To help, um, no, no, they can't. But yeah. hear me out. They can. Um, What I've seen a lot with people that have trauma is that they are literally afraid of the bodily sensations that they have surrounding emotion. Not just people with trauma, people in general that come into therapy, I've seen this over and over and over again, are afraid of their bodies. They don't know, um, they're not comfortable feeling emotions, right? Um, emotions are physical sensations, the physical sensations that people experience. And I'm saying this very generally, um, really scare people. They feel, you know, that they're, uh, they haven't been modeled appropriate ways to process emotions or to feel emotions. And, um, and, and they're scary. They feel, and I, I mean, I can speak to this, uh, personally, clinically, I've seen it over and over again. Personally, yeah, when I was experiencing grief for the first time, yeah. it was a, a very singular experience that I never felt before. I yeah. thought I was losing my mind. And um, I it's hard to describe what grief is like unless you've actually experienced it. Mm-hmm. It was really scary. Yeah. Um, it was a, yeah, a, a dread-filled, awful, you know, pit-in-your-stomach feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to learn how to just sit with that feeling and, Mm. and just tolerate it. Mm. And it's like, grief is so interesting, but yeah, learning to tolerate it is kind of the trick of getting through it. You can't, uh, you can't get over it before you go through it. And it's, it's like the the universe is tricking you into learning how to tolerate feeling like shit so that you can then feel better. It's an interesting, uh, something you just said, um, made me think about, the idea of managing trauma uh, uh, versus um, being cured of it or getting over it uh, does it raises an interesting question. Does one ever actually quote unquote get over trauma? Is it something that you can get over? Or is it something that becomes a part of you 
and that you have to learn to manage over the course of your life. I, I can't. Can one truly overcome a trauma? I don't think that we can say definitively either way, but I would say. Well, it's my point. I don't think we can say definitively. So that yeah. it raises an interesting question. Do we believe as therapists, as mental health professionals, that one can overcome? And of course, different mental health professionals okay. are going to have different opinions. But do we believe that one can get over it, can move on from trauma? Uh, or, or, uh, or is it something perhaps that uh, you just have to learn to manage over the course of your you life? You can certainly, certainly overcome the symptoms that are associated with trauma yeah you can certainly overcome the the uh the barriers created by the symptoms that you've had uh because of trauma you can certainly overcome uh the effects of the trauma mm-hmm. can you a hundred percent get rid of it well, it's your your body. It's in your body. Um, there's a, a famous book, Your Body Body Keeps the Score. Uh, I can't remember the author off yeah. the top of my head. So it but does, in fact, become a part of you. It is, yeah. because we, we're um, biochemical beings, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what what is that idea of um, sounds being stored in, in rocks, um, like primitive, like, uh, I love how I reference things. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, but it, she listens to rocks, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. it, it, we store things in our bodies and it, we can unstore them. We can unpack them. We can clean them out. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel that there's always a little bit of a fissure, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. um, that's left. There's mm-hmm. like a, a seismic wave um, after the earthquake mm-hmm. and it, it will always be there. I will always carry grief with me, yeah. um, but it's not as present as it once was. It, yeah. it can be recalled. It can come again. Uh, there's a thing called the stug, sudden temporary upsurge of grief. Yeah. I haven't personally experienced that. And but you can, you can always be triggered unexpectedly yes. at any point in your life. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've had such interesting experiences. No matter how much you feel like you've overcome or actually have overcome the symptoms, you could always be triggered unexpectedly. Always. I, I found myself having an experience in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was as if I was uh, 12 again experiencing um, uh, the same exact feelings that I had once experienced at the age of 12 that had traumatized me. I, I, it was so bizarre. I I sat there and I said, okay, well, I I guess this is happening. Um, So yeah, it, it's uh, your body recalls things Um, again, quite astutely, you know, I, I, it's, it stores these things for, for good reason. Yeah. If we're going to survive things, we need to learn what the threats are and we need to learn um, what the markers are of the threats. And um, we think we're very smart and we are very smart. We're very logical beings for the most part. Um, But not not the anti-vax population. No, not at all. Not all of us. (laughs) Uh, Generally speaking, we think we're smart and and we are. We, We do amazing things, but we also are you know, biochemical and kind of primitive. Yeah. As my friend Chad says, we, uh, we have these primitive, uh, uh, circuits, you know, yeah. uh, that are a little outdated. Yeah. Um, so can one overcome trauma? Uh, yeah, to a degree. Sure. Yeah. But, but it takes a willingness to go through the process and the process is not easy. So, um, well, my, my question was not, can one overcome trauma? Yes, of course, I believe one can overcome trauma, but I don't know if overcome is, is, is the right word. Perhaps one can learn, uh, to effectively manage it in a healthy way so that it doesn't kind of undermine or derail your emotional and psychological equilibrium, right? Your quality of life. But yeah. And um, your question was how it's kind of like grief and loss. You, 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 you don't ever get over it. It becomes a part of you that you learn to manage in a healthy way. Best case scenario. And, and if you're a healthy person, um, these are, you take things, you learn lessons from these things. Um, um, ideally, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do, you learn, um, um, is it Victor Frankl, uh, Finding Meaning? I can't remember. What's the title of that book? Anyway, uh, he's a, a Holocaust survivor and uh, wrote a book um, and talking about finding meaning um, after yeah. having experienced 
what he experienced. And, yeah. and that's, it's the same with, uh, other trauma and, and, yeah. and grief. It's fine. It's sort of, um, redirecting your energy to find meaning in other things. Yeah. Um, um, other experiences. And yeah. so how do you do that? You were yeah. asking, so what are some things that people can do at home or yeah. otherwise? I mean, I actually will prescribe for my clients, um, uh, just sitting, um, and learning how to feel, (laughs) learning how to feel their bodies, um, learning how to feel their feelings. People, um, oftentimes do not know what it is to actually feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. We have a very busy world. We have, we're very, um, outcome driven in our lives. We're not as process oriented sometimes. Um, and uh, depending on our family of origin, mm-hmm. we may not have had our emotional worlds attended to. Mm-hmm. What does it mean attend to? Meaning that maybe nobody cared what you felt. Maybe nobody ever asked what you felt. Yeah. Maybe you never saw anybody having emotions in front of you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that I emote on a regular basis in front of my daughter. Probably too much. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer to eat my feelings. <laughs> well, I've done that as well. Thank you, Hagen Dodge. <laughs> yeah, I'm really adept at that too. But I, I keep that under control somewhat. Um, depends on the year. After 47 years, <laughs> I could say there are some years that I've done better than others. But you know, um, that's another topic for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Stay yes. tuned, ladies. And gentlemen. <laughs> yes, eating disorders are. Wow, there's a lot there. Anyway, so um, so what what do we do? Well, we employ um, breathing practices. We employ yoga. We employ uh, running, uh, sitting still. Like I said, I I educate people about what emotions are. Uh, Emotions are physical sensations, physical sensations that people are not comfortable having. Um, It can be very scary for people that have suppressed emotions um, that haven't been uh, told that it's okay to have emotions that have been neglected. It's, yeah. it, it's scary for people to actually just sit and feel their feelings. Yeah. Um, some people will drink away their feelings. Some people will. Oh, I'm good at that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drinking is interesting because it, it, um, uh, releases dopamine yeah. right? depending on the, the alcohol that you're drinking, different levels of dopamine. So that can become obviously addicting. Um, and it is very satisfying to begin with, but then it can have a sort of a is it a boomerang effect? I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, where it, it feels good to drink in the moment. There's a lot of dopamine being produced, but then the next day, um, I mean, I've experienced this. Uh, the next day, it ain't so it ain't so pretty. Um, but yeah, so some people drink away their feelings. Some people eat away their feelings. Some people work away their feelings. Some people um, are angry all the time. Some people are anxious all the time. Anxiety is a really interesting one because behind anxiety, oftentimes you'll find a lot of different types of emotions. Yeah. Um, anger also, um, it can be a mask for, for other emotions. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel good to feel vulnerable. It doesn't feel good to feel dread. It doesn't feel good to feel sad. Um, we're, and if you come from an environment where that's not really praised or even, yeah given an opportunity you've been given an opportunity to experience it it's gonna be difficult so what uh, what kind of you mentioned breathing exercises what type of breathing exercises do you uh do you suggest edgy breath play no yeah. i'm kidding mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just yes yeah, like your your phone sex operator background coming back <laughs> uh and she's oh. drunk, she's digging deep ladies and gentlemen she's going back into the past and uh, taking from her her phone sex operator toolbox. No, I forgot. Um, I told you about that. Yeah. Um. So as you breath play, no breathing. Um. So six three six is there are no model. secrets here. In this <laughs> no. Uh, but are you? Um, um, I was uh, really bad at it too. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So six three six. Um. Well, I, I was thinking. I'm sorry. You. I was gonna. I was gonna ask about deep breathing exercises. But if you can kind of list perhaps a few that you suggest. For our listeners. So first of all, diaphragmatic breathing. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Where you breathe uh, to your diaphragm, mm-hmm. meaning that you, you put your hands on your uh, middle, mm-hmm. um, not your abdomen, but your middle. 
where your diaphragm is, right under your ribs, yeah. and uh, you breathe to the point where you can feel your, your stomach being pushed out, right? So six counts in and hold for three, and then six counts out, and do that over and over again. Another really effective tool, if you're having a panic attack, um, if you're not breathing well, and, and the thing that's so interesting to me over and over and over again, yeah. And sad. And I say interesting. Interesting is an interesting word because it's really loaded. Yeah. It's sad. I There are so many people that I meet that are really not aware of what's going on with their body when they're experiencing symptoms, right? Yeah. So they don't even know that they're, they're clenched up. They don't even know that they're not breathing. Yeah. Um, but... So one thing is you can breathe into a paper bag and, yeah. and that can affect um, uh, your, your levels of anxiety. Yeah. If it's really intense, um, I, full disclosure, I used to carry around a bag with me because I used to have panic attacks. So I would carry a bag with me in my purse uh, when I was in my early 20s mm -hmm. uh, because I was just so fraught and miserable and uh and and it, and it helped now yeah. and again you know um how often did you have panic attacks not not terribly often Ooh. but it, for anybody that's had a panic attack they know that it's pretty pretty uh pretty awful it's very scary yeah it's really scary i can i could tell you the experience of each of the ones i've had that's how intense they are yeah and I remember going to a counselor. Um, this was after my father died. I remember going to him and describing all of the things that led up to this one panic attack that I had after like the whole fucking experience of moving and my dad died and I didn't know anybody where I was living. And yeah. then my, my husband, ex-husband was traveling and I was all alone and I had a toddler and, uh, and he was like, well, that was a very righteous panic attack. And I was like, yeah, fucking was. Yeah, I, I earned that panic attack. Um, and, and I, yeah. So, so breathing into a bag. Um, but the deep breathing, the thing is, is that everything feels like a threat at, at that point. Everything feels threatening. So grounding yourself. Um, deep breathing, uh, you're asking about breathing exercises. I mean, that's the one that I employ. Um, yeah. And then meditating, just sitting still, observing your thoughts, not placing any value on your thoughts, just yeah. breathing, just yeah. being. Yeah. We're so, um, we go, go, go all the time and we don't experience our physical bodies a lot of times. Uh, I Again, I, I come across it again and again. Yeah. So it wasn't just one um one trigger that set off your panic attacks. Uh, it was, it sounded like it was a number of stressors in the aggregate that and yeah. it was a cumulative, uh, a culmination of events. It was a cumulative development of, of stress so, and stressful factors, right? Yes. Are you yeah. being my counselor? I feel like you're being no, my I, counselor. I, I, I'm using your, your personal example <laughs> as a segue to uh, a kind of a, a discussion about. Um, uh, oh, we have sirens well, going by. Yeah. Your your per, your personal example. I think it, it's courageous of you to share this these um, kind of personal examples uh, or personal history with anxiety and trauma and panic attacks because you know it 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 it, it's, it reminds our listeners um, that you know even mental health professionals suffer from mental health struggles most and anxiety yeah <laughs> perhaps yeah everybody um, does <laughs> and so we, we we work to manage these these mental health struggles as well right. Um, uh, uh, but also I think it's, it's interesting to help people to kind of better understand not just how to uh, respond to a panic attack or uh, cumulative elevated anxiety with coping strategies, but also perhaps what leads up to them so they can be um, uh, perhaps more aware or vigilant of the stressors that are kind of leading to the panic attack. I have oh, a number yeah. of clients who struggle, who have struggled with panic attacks. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we talk about coping strategies, coping mechanisms, um, uh, to employ once the panic attack is occurring. Uh, but I think it's also important. And we also, we also talk about how to manage the lead up. I think that's incredibly important too, right? Yeah. Uh, pre preventative measures. Well, you were talking about this last time, uh, preserving and protecting your mental health. Yeah. Um, 
it's hard to say um, what you need to protect yourself against or how to preserve your mental health actually until you've actually faced a struggle sometimes though that's that's the the, the sad part uh, about it is that it, but I, I think maybe things like this and maybe uh, education about mental health in general I, I do think it's improving right yeah. so for instance uh, with my daughter who's 14 um, I'm very proactive with her and, and since she was tiny talking about emotions and you know, I, I'm that mom. I'm mm-hmm. the therapist mom. <laughs> I'm the mom who's talking about that. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I, I, we've talked about this historically. There's been neglect in the yeah. area of mental health uh, yeah. unless you have severe and persistent mental illness. Yeah. Well, the fact is everybody's mental health uh, uh, is important, not just people that are having severe symptoms. And you can help to prevent some severe symptoms by uh, being proactive about your mental health. Um, uh, but I, I don't think that that has been a, a normal um, a, a normal course of action uh, until the last, I don't know, what would you say, 20 years? I mean, when I was a teenager in the, in the I don't even know, 90s, when, when was I a teenager? I was 12 in 1987. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so 1987, I was 12 years old. 1987, uh, we weren't fucking talking about this stuff. Yeah. Were there school counselors? I don't think there were school counselors. Do you oh, remember having a school counselor? That was a great year, 1987. How old was I in 1987? You were five I years old. I was seven or eight. I was about eight, seven or eight years old. Yeah. Um, I had, I had counselors in high school. I remember having a high school counselor. I think there were guidance counselors back yeah. then and even prior, but I, I don't think that they utilized, they, they, there were no mental health counselors. No. There were certainly no school social workers or school psychologists. Guidance counselors were not trained in, in, in mental health. No. Um, they provided kind of vocational yeah. ac- and academic guidance, feedback, support. Um, but certainly not mental health support. In fact, I, I don't even know that they even uh, understood mental health on any level and were able to um, support someone who was struggling, a student that was struggling with mental health. They just weren't trained in it. No. Right? They no. didn't understand So, like, it. the emotional well-being of a child yeah. was not really thought of yeah. too much, yeah. uh, I, I don't think, back in the day. Um, so, so how do you preserve and protect something that you aren't even aware of? Yeah. Right. I feel like we're just thrown to the wolves and yeah. oh, whatever the fuck happens, happens. And then you just fucking deal with it. Well, yeah. that's not really the case anymore. I think there's yeah. a lot more knowledge surrounding, mm-hmm. um, well, things like bullying that was never talked about when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. I was a little bit of a bully, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little regretful. Sorry, Jeffrey Lamb. I didn't yeah. mean it. <laughs> Poor Jeffrey. I know it was awful. Um, yeah. I wasn't that bad, but it, yeah. you know, it was enough that his brother stopped by that crossing area yeah. as a crossing guard. Anyway, Poor Jeffrey. I know I feel I've bad. replaced Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so there just wasn't, it wasn't talked about. Yeah. Things weren't talked about. Things are being talked about. Studies are done. Interventions are put into place. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed. So my daughter just started public high school. She was in private school. I'm so impressed with these kids. They're generally pretty respectful. They're mature and the ways that they talk about things. I'm, I'm, they advocate for themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm just really impressed. Um, that I, I I can't say that that was the same when I was going to high school. Mm-hmm. It was a different experience. But I was actually telling my daughter, you know, I went to a pretty ratchet high school. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, so maybe it's geography. Maybe it, I, I don't know. But I, I do think that it has changed how people we talked about this last time, how people approach mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do you protect and preserve something you don't know about how do you know that you have to protect something if you don't know it exists? So if you know it exists, then how do you yeah. preserve and protect yourself, Christian? Um, well, you know, I, I don't think you know how unless um, you, you you are willing to kind of, unless you have some sort of, um, unless there is some sort of kind of um, 
educational influence in your life, whether it's in your family system, on the community level, in your school, um, you know, we, I, I, then you wouldn't know how to protect yourself. Uh, how would we know anything we know unless, uh, you know, we were conditioned to prioritize the importance of a certain knowledge base, right? Yeah. Um, everything we know is taught to us by someone else, right? Um, uh, and so as we discussed during, you know, uh, during uh, the last podcast episode, you know, the, the mental health advocacy community has done wonders over the last 50 to 60 years and putting pushing uh, mental health um, education to the forefront uh, of, uh, of uh, kind of our, our collective societal consciousness, right? And that has resulted in favorable public policy, greater funding um, uh, for mental health advocacy and research and programming uh, in schools and on the community level. Um, and so, I, and, and, you know, there's still a long way to go, but uh, uh, yeah, the, the importance of mental health education on every level uh, it, it cannot be understated. It's it's incredibly important. Um, Why uh, is it important? Well, it, it helps to uh, develop a certain degree. It helps people to develop a certain degree of resiliency and self-awareness uh, about uh, their mental health. Uh, it helps people to, to develop skills and a wherewithal uh, uh, about how to uh, uh, improve their, their mental health, how to manage obstacles, stress, or both and stressors both internally and environmentally um, so that their responses to stressors um, are healthy and adaptive. Yeah. Um, and, and that starts at a young age, right? That starts at a very young age. If you don't prioritize your physical, your mental or your physical health from a young age, um, you know, it can take a toll. Now it's never too late to get educated and to turn things around. But I think the, the younger someone is, the younger a person is when they're introduced to the importance of managing one's mental health better and the more likely they are to develop the skills necessary to protect and preserve their mental health throughout their lives well and and mental health is physical health and uh, how mentally healthy someone is impacts how physically healthy they are um there i was reading i've been reading a lot about adverse childhood events and how um how it affects people Mm -hmm. later in their lives right Mm -hmm. there's a, a scale um the, the the ACE scale, whatever it's study. I am not going to talk about the particulars, but I, I will speak generally to it. That uh, it was done by Kaiser Permanente many many years ago, and um, they he still refuses to issue us a contract to provide services <laughs> to uh, their members. But that's another story. Yeah, and they can um, certainly use our help because they sure um, as hell could. They have a very long waiting list. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Anyway, the the ACE scale or ACE score that people have, there's a direct correlation between adverse childhood events, uh, abuse, trauma, and and then physical health later on in their lives. Um, they there are many things that can develop physically um, from having experienced adverse childhood um, events. Um, so it's and and then and then what? I mean, it, it's just. We should really try to enjoy our lives, try to enjoy our bodies, enjoy our world and not be tortured all the time. And uh, how do we do that? Well, we do that by learning about how to uh, best utilize our our bodies. Our, our bodies are, are, of course, suffering is inherent in being alive. But do we have to suffer all the time? No, we don't. We don't. So... My my goal as a counselor, obviously, I focus on on each individual's uh, goals as they come in for counseling, and and we revisit that all the time. You know, what is your goal? What are your goals? What are you working towards? What can we do together to help mm-hmm. you feel better? Um, I I really uh, try to help empower people mm-hmm. so that they can um, do what they need to do in their lives to lead lives that are um, fulfilling that are happy, as happy as can be. Again, life is inherently shitty um, at times, and and that's just part of it. Uh, But learning how to suffer creatively. (laughs) Yeah, I should write a book. Suffering creatively. Um, I mean, suffering in a way that doesn't tear your life apart, you know. Um, Yeah, we should just really try to be as 
as comfortable as we can be, as peaceful as we can be in our lives. Um, uh, cause as far as I know, we only have one. Um, and it can be fraught and difficult and awful, or it can be peaceful and enjoyable. And, and, it th- and here's the thing is that uh, neuroplasticity, our brains are so plastic, meaning that they can be changed. Things can change. Things change all the time. And we, of course, we can heal. Of course, we can change how we think and, and how our bodies react to things um, um, to, to have better lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it affects everybody. There's a, a, a ripple effect. Um, if I'm happy, you're happy, you know, yeah. or whatever. Subjective well-being. I don't know. Happy is the right word, but we talked about breathing exercises earlier, and you mentioned some other kind of coping strategies for managing uh, uh, trauma and, and anxiety. Any any others? You mentioned uh, physical exercise, of course. Uh, uh, I mentioned Hagen Dazs and whiskey. Any any <laughs> any any others that uh, that you can think of? Uh, porn. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of. Teach no. his own. Um, what else can you do? I mean, it's, fu- I, it's funny how we laugh off some of these strategies. I'm kidding, as, but not kidding. No, no, I know. I mean, it's, it's just funny. I was just thinking like, it's funny how we laugh off some of these strategies, but the truth is some of those things are very much effective and quite frankly, healthier than some of the more well-respected alternatives. It's true. Right. I mean, uh, uh they're, they're, <laughs> I'd argue that, you know, uh, I, I'd argue that, you know, Hagen Dazs is probably uh, 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 less harmful to your body, at least in the short run, than you know uh, some anti-anxiety medication. Some SSRIs. What's your favorite flavor? Uh, chocolate peanut butter. Chocolate peanut butter. Yeah. Okay. On the inside, I'm a 350 pound person. Um, <laughs> I like rum raisin. But you know, I mean, the you know, uh, I can. Sp- I, I'm a Hagen Dazs ex- expert, so I can speak to that. But there are other, you know, and, and I mentioned, I facetiously men- uh, mentioned whiskey, but alcohol in moderation, I think, is 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 a is a perfectly um, uh, effective and acceptable, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, co- coping mechanism. And I for, mentioned porn yeah. uh, facetiously, but the fact is, masturbation—that's a really good example yeah. of. Uh, or sex in general. Yeah. Um, the the hormones that are released in our in our bodies um, are fantastically healthy for us. Yeah. Oxytocin, um, you know, it's fantastic. It's so yeah. It's it's interesting how kind of cultural and social norms kind of dictate um, treatment strategies for mental health. I'm just thinking about what you're saying, and it's like you know when you when someone goes to, to their uh, uh, to their their PCP or their uh, or their psychiatrist to to uh, discuss their their struggles with anxiety. The doctor doesn't say uh, probably doesn't say are you having more sex? You should have more sex, right? Masturbate often. But I, I don't think doctors yeah. are saying that. That I think that would be. I, I say I, it. I, yeah. So here here's here's my. Well, we're not talking about you and me. No, 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 I'm no, talking no. About no society I, I think you're right. Large, I yeah? think you're that, right. What's no. the point I'm trying to make? Is that oh, social... but doctors in general. I would argue there's probably a lot of therapists who, who don't say that as yeah. well. I just think the social and cultural norms of our society, and this might be another topic for another day, but on the, it's relevant to the, the healing topic that we've been discussing today, uh, because I do think that there are probably a lot of very basic, healthy, effective coping strategies that we can use uh, to manage anxiety, trauma, mental illness that are probably not really the first couple that most healthcare professionals um, suggest yes. because they're not considered, you know, kind of socially acceptable or, well, or, or there are other, there are other considerations. We talked last time about the disease model, right? So if you're looking at it from a disease model, we're going to treat it like a disease yeah. um, rather than just recognizing a lot of the things that we experience as normal human experiences yeah. and, uh, and having just a very run of the mill kind of solutions we don't yeah. we don't always have to medicate you know well, yeah, i mean and that's my point i think there are some very natural kind of simple low-hanging fruit type of basic coping mechanisms that are not encouraged yeah. right or not suggested we're as as the i think the medical community is quick to kind of um you know uh 
you know, kind of suggest uh, or prescribe medication when really other basic human functions might be more effective. Right. Yeah. But do- doctor might not feel comfortable saying, hey, loser, why don't you go get a girlfriend? Why don't you go have more <laughs> sex? Right. Uh, well, it, it, well, I mean, it might be considered not, boundary crossing. You might, might be may not easily be able to get a girlfriend and, 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 and sure. No, so of course. Well, that's what hookers but, are for. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but but the point is, the point is, is 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 one's access to those things is. Is it's not yes that that could be an obstacle, but the point is whether no, I get whether it. whether yeah. the, the doctor doesn't know that the point is the very topic is considered to be I guess taboo or inappropriate, so it's not even suggested. We need to have a talk about pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. too, the big pharma because because yeah. they are really. Uh, and, but I'm not saying medication doesn't have its place. I'm it saying, has I'm saying its place, it, it, but it is it is necessary really over market. Yes, no question, and there's no question. But I'm, it, it, it's not that it doesn't have its place. It can be very effective, and, and quite frankly, for some severe and persistent mental illnesses, it's absolutely necessary yes. in order to help stabilize the, the individual. But. I do think there are, are a number of coping mechanisms that we mentioned there um, facetiously today that probably aren't suggested in private conversations with your with BCPs and even therapists, which probably should be. Not to say that Hagen Dazs is is healthy for you; it's not. But you know, I, I and I facetiously mentioned that and eating your feelings. But um, you know, when you when thinking of kind of when using maybe, maybe perhaps a, a, a harm reduction model. If you're feeling depressed, if you are feeling anxious, if eating ice cream is 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 a helpful way to make you feel better in the moment, that's certainly better than a cigarette. That's yeah. certainly better than illicit drug use. Uh, that's yeah. certainly better than a lot of uh, other things that people use to cope. So, it, it, you know, we might have been talking about it facetiously or suggesting it facetiously, but you know, sometimes it does the trick. So we are out of time. I want to talk more about Hagen Dazs and porn. Well. <laughs> I was just getting on a roll. Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> so we maybe rec- combine the two. So, he- yeah. <laughs> so for healing, we yeah. recommend whiskey, porn, and ice cream. Yes. And um, and go to therapy while using all of those. Yeah. Um, just kidding, kind of. But um, yeah. So that's it. Any other any any parting thoughts? Because we are out of time. Uh no. That that uh, I I think. Uh, uh, I, I think we the, today's podcast uh, brought up some very interesting topics, uh, some of which I think perhaps we can we can continue discussing into the next episode. Oh yeah, um, we need to expand upon this. Uh, Healing is is it, it, additional it's a lifestyle. Co- I think we can delve into coping strategies a bit more, but also pre- I brought up preventative measures. Yeah, um, well, know, I think there are lifestyle choices we can talk about. He, he, I heard somebody say the other day. Healing is not just an event; it is a lifestyle, yeah. and and I I can attest to that. It's a, it's a process. It's a lifestyle. I I am a, I am in a healing lifestyle, yeah. and um and and will be for the rest of my life probably. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes uh, t- today's podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Okay. All right. <laughs>